glad you could join us for this installment of clone wars an orphan black podcast my name is mike and i'm dave and we're glad you could join us as we discuss the season two finale episode 10 of bbc america's orphan black that aired on june 21st 2014 the episode is titled by means which have never yet been tried remember you can access this show and all our orphan black shows through both the lost girl podcast fade list and liberate a continuum podcast and as long as you subscribe to either of those podcasts or heck both of them You'll automatically receive our Orphan Black discussions in your feed. Or if you prefer, you can just go directly to continuumpodcast.com or fatalist.podbean.com to listen straight from the website. Or you can also subscribe through Stitcher. Yeah. Well, listen, the uh, numbers continue to rise. 610,000 viewers for Episode 9. And I think like you and, and virtually everybody is a fan of the show, we'll be shocked if we're not making an, amount, an announcement somewhere down the road that the show's been renewed for a third season. In some ways, I'm kind of encouraged for Continuum's sake that if Orphan Black hasn't gotten an announcement and they're finishing up their run, then maybe Continuum will, will have the same kind of thing where they make announcements after the shows are over. But yeah, we're awaiting to hear if season three for Orphan Black is assured. Yeah. And, and if you go by awards, which mm-hmm. obviously are not the end all be all, but certainly are important, uh, both shows are critically acclaimed and i think in large in a large respect they they have a lot in common that's true now this episode the season finale was written by graham manson directed by john fawcett the show's creators so uh, i guess that's not unusual par for the course for a finale yeah quite a shocker maybe not a game changer but uh, kind of a game changer in many ways there are uh, some things that we could have predicted and other things that we could never possibly have predicted uh, specifically with Marion Bowles in my case. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, we had the, I think the big reveal of the episode is of course that project Lita split into two factions, the military side with, as we know now has male clones. And I mean, certainly we suspected that at some point the idea of male clones would be revealed. Yeah. A lot of the fans came up with that idea, mostly with Felix though. <laughs> right. And that the dyad side has the female clones. So uh, this episode was a lot about that, but also a lot about, I-, I guess, getting away for Sarah, getting Kira to safety and bringing down dyad at least as much as it can be brought down. And you were right about one thing. And that is that apparently top side is a proper noun with a capital T. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> all right, well, listen, the opening scene, at first we weren't sure whether it was flashbacks, flash forwards, whatever, but I think it was just simply uh, Sarah having turned herself in. And, and you know, that, that certainly that scene that I think we saw in the previews, my name is Sarah Manning, and this is my unconditional surrender. Mm-hmm. Pretty powerful stuff. And I guess as she's being led away, handcuffed and all that, she's flashing back to the scenes that really led to this. Yeah, the, the concessions that she had to make with Mrs. S and Felix and Kira. And yeah, it was very powerful because it did seem like almost an end to everything, not just the end of the season. And you had to wonder, is this going to 
cause an upheaval with just about every single storyline that we have. And it did in some sense. Yeah. And I thought the other thing that was really powerful is in the, you know, she's flashing back and, and, and we don't have it, you know, full volume or even full visuals. Uh, but the screaming that's going on between her and Mrs. S and just, you, you know what they're doing. They're blaming each other. And then just all of a sudden out of nowhere, Sarah just hugs her yeah. with all her might because th- they all realized that there was nothing they could have done. Yeah. They were, just taking their anger out on each other uh, to have someone to vent to, I think. The other poignant thing she says to Mrs. S is, I don't know whose side you're on, but I know you'll always put Kira first. And, and you know, we just presume that this was just before she turns herself in. Yeah, and I think she's correct about that. I had a couple of episodes where I was wondering about Mrs. S and her loyalties, but I definitely think that she'll put Kira first. Now, there's some betrayals uh with mrs s on other fronts though i guess we'll talk about later yeah and again i you know i don't know what she could have done i mean you know we'll we'll talk about that and and helena but she's put into a position that there really are no good choices but like you said we've talked a lot through the series about who mrs s is and whether or not she can be trusted and whose side she's on and and you know i'm telling you she had that one phone call though where mm-hmm. it sounded like she was organizing some sort of terrorist bombing, kind of what's that, her side job? Well, it seemed like she was getting nowhere where she wanted to <laughs> arrange to have a car bomb made. And it, that was before the other plan kind of got laid out. So maybe that was just some kind of act of desperation where she was going back to her IRA days, perhaps. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I think the main story centered around uh, Sarah's surrender and eventual escape, which. You know, you follow a show like this, and I think traditionally you'd you'd say, okay, fine, she surrenders, we know she's going to escape, but that's not necessarily a done deal on a show like this. But uh, she's being questioned by Dr. Nealon, and and we find out that uh, he's examined her before, thinking she was Beth, and then apparently the blood work revealed otherwise, tells her he wants to harvest her eggs. And I thought it was pretty funny when he gets her to sign the release form. She goes, look at me. Yeah. Do I really need to sign this thing? Yeah, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> holds up the handcuffs. Blood work, like we said, tells him the truth about her identity. All right, she's she goes through that whole scene, and and you know they kept showing that pen. Did you notice mm-hmm. what kind of pen it was? I didn't. What was it? I mean, it was one of those old. Uh, it would have an ink cartridge in it, and it had a pointy tip. Oh, like a fountain pen. If like a fountain pen. That's exactly a fountain pen. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept thinking, because they kept showing it, I'm thinking, like, what is she going to do? Uh, grab it and try to stab him? <laughs> and, and of course, that- A la Alex Sadler. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, anyway, so, you know, obviously she says, look, I'll sign anything. Just let me see my daughter. And I think she thinks she's going to actually have physical contact, but they take her to an observation room. Well, still, even so, even though it was just an observation room and not physical contact, there were a lot of things that Dyad did that were concessions, including later on with Rachel bringing the picture to to uh, Sarah, that on one hand, I was thinking, this is too nice of them. They could have just said no. Yeah. But on the other hand, they are making these gestures to, I guess, keep them complacent, keep Sarah complacent. Yeah, Maybe? yeah, but you wonder why because yeah, why because clearly they have a lot of power and a lot of influence and like you said, I mean, there are a couple of scenes, you know, when, when Kira, uh, I'm sorry, when Delphine leaves the building, she goes in the elevator. There's a dyad 
guard in there and she immediately pulls out her cell phone and starts making a call. <laughs> yeah. I mean, texting people. Yeah. Why would they let her do that? I don't know. Well, you know, the scene where Sarah's looking through the observation window into the little pink bedroom that Rachel set up for, you know, Rachel seems to just be subtly kind of getting these digs in about Sarah and she doesn't really fall for it. Kira, you mean? Kira, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's sort of talking to her through the mirror, but I get the sense that Kira knows exactly what that mirror is all about. Yeah, you know, and and, and she, I think she even knows what Rachel's trying to do, and she says, no, no, mommy assured me she's all grown up now. Yeah, exactly. But, now, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, then we see the nurse coming in to do the DNA swab, and, and you know, boy, is, is she her mother's daughter or what? <laughs> That's for sure. You know, gets the phone, uh, calls Cal with the number she memorized. And, and again, how prescient was that on his part? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of things that Cal had set up in earlier episodes, uh, uh, to a certain extent, for us, the viewers, anyway. That was a, also a pretty cool scene when, you know, there's a knock at the door. And, and talk about somebody that's had their world turned upside down. You know, you think like Felix, who he knew Mrs. S to be, a few months ago, mom, and you know, now the door uh, doorbell rings, somebody knocks at the door. First thing she does is grab her handgun and go <laughs> answer the door. And of course, it's Cal, and she knows nothing about who he is. And, and, and she is not used to being out of the loop. No, <laughs> and, and right. And Felix had a good retort, you know, it's, it's basically, well, now you know how it feels. <laughs> That's right. So now, the other thing, he, he comes and he starts talking about all the digging he's done. And now you probably knew this. I had to look it up. But that Darknet is actually real. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. deep internet. Yes, the deep internet where people like, Some, people like me, I don't have that good of skills. Maybe you. No, I definitely don't go that far. But I just like how sometimes it's visually represented on shows like this. Uh, it looks kind of like just a DOS prompt, very uh, simple font where he's talking back and forth to uh, someone who knows a lot more than uh, than you would think. And I guess Cal is getting a lot of his information through the dark net about Dyad and the cloning. He figured it out on his own. He, he has made contact with the person. The person's online. And you know when nothing's happening, she says, tell him you're with Siobhan Sadler. And the reply is to ask her about Castor. Yep, so dropping that name was key to the plan that they took moving forward. Now, you know, just really, this is probably as good a time as any, just uh, for those that aren't up on your Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux were twin brothers. Uh, their mother was Leda, but Castor was the mortal son of, and this is where it gets a little dicey, because on, on the one, uh, one hand, there's a story that says he's the son of Tyndarus, king of Sparta, uh, and Pollux, the divine son of Zeus. So in other words, the twins had different fathers, same right. mother. Uh, Zeus, in the one story, seduced Leda in the guise of a swan. And accounts of their births are varied, but it's sometimes said they were born from an egg. And along with their twin sisters, Helen of Troy and Clytemnestra, uh, who played a big role in the Trojan, uh, Trojan War. Yeah, so uh, you know it, it gets even... A little dicier in terms of the orphan black. And then after Castor's death, Pollux was so devastated, he gave up part of his immortality to his brother and now reside in the sky as the constellation Gemini. So, to a certain extent, you know, that whole idea of immortality, 
I, you know, it's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, especially once you bring in the young clone, uh, it's something that could be carried forward. And everyone in this show is seeking to further the original experiment. Yeah, and yeah. and that is a form of immortality for Sarah and the male clone version. So, yeah, a, a very apt choice of project name. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, we see Mrs. S and Cal. Uh, Waiting in some kind of empty warehouse, uh, Humvee drives in, three fatigued soldiers get out. Uh, were you surprised to see Paul as one of them? Once you, once you saw the uniforms, it was like, uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, I don't know, are the two of them working together? I guess so. But the other interesting thing, she asks him if he's prepared to play double agent. And again, like her, we've been asking the question, which side is he on? And we've really seen him on both sides, and he's going to continue to play both sides. But like her, he just wants to know the truth. Right, which doesn't necessarily mean he's loyal to her. Correct. But uh, for the time being, their goals align. Right. I mean, he may just want to know the truth because he's been used by Dyad for how long? Right. And now he's apparently got his position back in the military that he lost due to his whatever they were holding over his head originally with regard to his past. So Right. Well, we, we find out who Castor is, and that's uh, Marion Bowles, which uh, was a little bit of a surprise there. That was definitely a shock for me. I was not expect. I don't know who I was expecting, but it wasn't her. Yeah. And, you know, she wants to get to the bottom of this as well. And, you know, that whole idea about how high does it go? We find out that she seems to be on, you know, on Sarah's and Kira's side. And says, you know, she can get them out, but after that, it's up to Sarah. And that's, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that means. What, it's up to Sarah to stay out of sight? Yeah, well, maybe because she has to keep her cover going with Dyad. There's apparently something else going on with Topside, and it might not be just her that's combating Dyad. There might be other powers at play here that we have not been exposed to. So getting Kira out, getting Sarah and Kira out is... Uh, certainly seems altruistic, but I think Marion Bowles uh, and whoever she works for might have other things in mind as well. Well, what do you think's in the file folder that he gives her? Do you think Don't it's know. something? I mean, I guess I'm figuring it's either something about uh, Helena, who obviously gets traded in this deal, or perhaps it's something about the male clones and the military experiment. But either way, it seems to be something pretty significant that, that she's that he's turning well, over. I like both of those possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now the other character that really has come up big and I think we've pretty much made fun of him all along and that's Scott. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just brilliantly, uh, he and Kasima work out a plan to get Sarah a message through one of Kira's drawings. And again, just brilliant. You know, they, uh, play science. And I think the, the strangest thing about that plan is, and then we'll get Rachel to take it into Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like you kind of mentioned earlier, um, I mean, if Rachel hadn't insisted on keeping an eye on Sarah, she wouldn't be in this position. Exactly right. She should have just turned a blind eye to what Sarah was doing. <laughs> I see what you did there. Because we do learn there's more than meets the eye. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. All of a sudden, you know, it, it sounded like they were talking to Sarah about you know, when when she was ready to ovulate and that they were going to harvest her eggs. And I, th- I think it, they said like 16 days mm-hmm. was yeah, something like that. Days. So we assumed nothing was imminent. Then all of a sudden she's being wheeled into surgery and she's fighting and 
of course, to no avail, wheeled in against her will. Uh, but Scott's in the operating room, lets her know. And again, you know, he tells Kasima, no, I got this. I'll take care of it. Well, and it all, that's very brave of him, and I appreciate his presence. I almost wonder why he didn't bring the the picture in, but that's such as it is. Yeah. But, but also the the fact that it's ramped up from removing a few eggs to now completely removing one of her ovaries. I mean, that's just. Yeah. And, and now he, the uh, Dr. Nealon doesn't seem too concerned that she'll still be able to bear children. And, and he, in fact, wants her to be able to bear children. And, and you just think, I mean, I get that they want to study her, but that seems pretty radical to do to the only clone that has exactly. been able to conceive. Yeah, that was my point. I was very surprised that they ramped it up like that. We see the scene. Uh, Rachel comes into the operating room, smashes the vials, which may or may not have contained the marrow. The marrow. Uh, well, also, sending everyone away is a big deal, too. It's like, right. Boy. I mean, I'm <laughs> guessing that that was not the actual bone marrow, but who knows? I mean, Rachel's... Well, they even said later that it might not be. I can't remember who said that, but uh, sort of drawing our attention to the fact that it might not be... The bone marrow, but I'm hoping that somehow the synthetic sequences will make the marrow a moot point anyway. Yeah, well, we do see the fruits of the plan, and that has to do with the fire extinguisher and the sharpened pencil. And Mike, which scene was more gruesome? <laughs> this scene with Rachel or Continuum with Alex Sadler? <laughs> So, and I think obviously most of our listeners will end up having seen both. So, uh, yeah. hey, maybe that should be a poll. <laughs> but I just like how it tied into the physics lesson yeah. that Kasima gave to Kira. Yeah. The uh, force <laughs> of the pencil going through the paper. Well, also an eyeball. Yeah. And, and you wonder if she had that in mind when she was you know, just really playing with Kira at that point. Yeah. It seems like she did. She was trying to communicate it somehow. But is she dead, Rachel? Don't think so. Right? I don't think so. Um, no. So she's just going to be out of sight for a while. <laughs> so to speak. Well, the other thing is, though, Marion Bowles comes in. You know, Kira, of course, naturally does not trust her, but she says, look, you know, you're going to get away. Cal's downstairs, ready to take you away. Uh, but it doesn't end with Rachel. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's in, encouraging in a way, actually. Yeah. And, I think my favorite scene in the whole episode, and again, for a season finale, it was awesome. It covered everything, uh, set up a lot of the situations. But when Cal meets Cosima and Allison uh, at Felix's place, you know, I, I thought that was great. And then when Helena shows up with Art, boy, does it get any better than that? Yeah, it's kind of like a nice way to end the series, even though overall the episode is. Uh, I didn't mean series. I meant season. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to curse things there. But yeah, the the fact that we got that light moment right in the middle of all this uh, hecticness is really nice. And then, of course, you know, Allison, they they all think he's hot. Uh, Cal, that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, you, you know, the scene where they're they're all dancing around, the, the four sisters, you know. And, and I, again, you talk about poignant scenes that... Helena comes in, never having met anybody other than Sarah, and Cosima immediately, you know, give me a hug. Yeah, I just, everything with Helena is just so, for me, it's just very touching. And it, and it 
boggles my mind that Helena should elicit those types of feelings from the audience because she's kind of psycho. Yeah. And yet we just feel so like we just want to reach out to her. Yeah. And that's obviously what Cosima does. Also liked the very brief moment from Allison, which yeah. was slapping Felix on the ass. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I, I guess perhaps the culminating storyline within Sarah's imprisonment and then escape, Marion Bowles says, if you want to learn the truth, come to my place tomorrow, which she does. And shows Sarah her eight-year-old adopted daughter, who is obviously a clone. Charlotte. Charlotte. Uh, and you know, wears a leg brace and limps, which we don't know whether or not that's associated with the fact that she was cloned. But we do know that 400 attempts were made, and this is the only one that worked. So obviously there were some flaws, even in the success. Yeah, yeah. And, and we go through the relationship. You know, Again, Charlotte's been certainly uh, prepared and says, oh, you're my big sister. Right. She right. knows all about it. Just yep. oh, kind of like Rachel, I right. guess. Kira's my cousin. And you know, she says, well, that's the story we're going to go with for now. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, and she points out like Siobhan, I'm invested, you know, that, that she, uh, we assume, and obviously we've seen very little of her relationship with, with Charlotte, but she loves her. Yeah, it seems genuine uh, on the part of Charlotte, and we almost judge it more through Charlotte's eyes to make sure things are okay here. Yep, but we get the, you know, we learn that it's uh, dyads perhaps not as powerful as we once thought, and that, uh, were you surprised that Sarah knew what a cabal was? (laughs) I guess so. That's not a completely unknown thing. No, I mean, to be honest, I had to look it up. I thought I knew what it was, and, and, you know, I was more or less right, but, (laughs) but that dyads steered the top side steers dyad with many other multinationals so again top side we don't know if it's a person i almost feel like it's a hedge fund type of group yeah you know they're just trying to get things going with the genetic engineering the biological synthetics and all that stuff to uh make sure things get approved in the supreme court things like that okay so you think it's merely business Business slash lobby slash uh, Illuminati. Okay. All right. Well, as if Sarah hasn't had enough revealed to her, Bowles reveals the fact that the military never stopped Project Lita. She shows her a confined male and says, this is Project Castor. And, and Sarah says she recognizes him from behind. Um, yeah, surprising. Yeah, I'm not sure, but- uh, I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the male clone turns out to be Mark. And I think, like most viewers, I didn't see that one coming. No, I was trying to recognize him from the back. And I guess you start thinking what you want to see is true. Like, I was like, that could be Felix with a, with a mohawk. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but clearly, this one's got severe mental issues. Yeah, maybe even more so than Helena. Right. Oh, way more. And because with <laughs> Helena, you understand it was her confinement probably more than any, her confinement and treatment more than anything. Yeah, definitely. And we learned that Mrs. S apparently sold out Helena. She traded Helena so that Sarah and Kira would be freed. Yeah, now who knows about that? That's Dyad, Paul, and Mrs. S herself, I guess. And then we see that Helena is now at some cold weather site in military custody, and you start to wonder, okay, the military's doing the male clone thing, and now they've got one of the female clones, so... Uh, we don't know what's up with that. So, especially since Helena has some babies, 
And Gracie has some babies. Yes. So it, they could bring things together in that sense as well. Right, though. Helena did leave the canister at Felix's. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But there's uh, some still in her as well. Well, so. correct. Right. She's pregnant. Yeah. So. All right. Well, anyway, uh, obviously, Cosima's health is still an issue. And Dr. Cormier has been replaced by Neelan and is told to leave the country. I think she, where the, where they say Frankfurt? Yep, off to Germany. Yep. And, and there there were a couple of nods back to uh earlier episodes or really the very beginning of the se- series and the one I liked is when Delphine texted Cosima with Rachel's itinerary. Yeah. As she's escorted out of the building, she is known as Eskimo Pie, which if you remember when they first slept together, uh Cosima went out for Eskimo pies, which Delphine had never tasted before. Okay, no, I think I, I'll <laughs> bet I picked up Something you didn't pick up in Rachel's itinerary. What was that? I didn't see it. At 1630, uh-huh. video conference with European Bioengineering Council, Dennis McGrath. You're kidding. Nope. And, and <laughs> I'm going to have to look at that. And Elon Mastai, who I looked up as uh, a writer, you know, small producer. So. Oh, gosh. Now I'm going to have to head to Twitter after this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, you know, her her lab is in disarray and it doesn't take Cosima very long to figure out, okay, I just need to play along and buy some time before I can figure out what to what to do. And, you know, like we already said, it seems odd that Dyad Goons would let her make that call, uh Delphine that is. But Cosima wants to see Kara as a sign of good faith, and that's, you know, like as we talked about, that's the kind of the genesis of the plan that's gonna help them escape. Now and again, that was another instance where why did Dyad uh, suddenly allow this nice gesture to go through? Yeah. Because well, if they just had not been so nice about it, then they wouldn't have been able to put this plan together. Right. And, and again, something else they overlooked, because we see Ethan Duncan and Sarah pass each other in the hall, uh-huh. and he tells her, don't despair. Rachel comes into his cell to see him, and she's trying to cut a deal for him to unlock the rest of the sequences. And boy, does she misread him. Oh, yeah. She's trying to wheedle him and do things to make him concede. And he's already put his own plan into motion. Yeah. Well, well, he doesn't, at first, right? I mean, he, it's almost like he, he gives her a chance. I oh, mean, you think so? Okay. Because he says, look, I've unlocked what you need to cure Cosima. Mm-hmm. After that, we'll talk. Okay. And she says, uh, no, you're going to do it all <laughs> or she gets nothing. Yeah, right. she's trying to hold it over his head, and he's like, "Well, I guess it's time for Plan B." Right, and or Plan you know, T, I should say. Right, oh, very good. Now he comes. <laughs> she when she comes in there, he's watching that childhood video, and she says, "It's a day I would have never seen if it weren't for your genetic sequences." And I'm wondering, does she mean simply that she would have never been born, or that she had perhaps developed something as a child that he was able to cure? Oh, yes, perhaps. So, uh, but regardless, you know, it's almost as if, and again, he didn't have control over what they were showing there. So what was the point of letting him see that and her almost being forced to see it, you know, to create those emotions? Yeah, I don't know. If it was trying to push his buttons in a time when she was pressuring him. Uh, I would think her reaction would be secondary in that case. Yeah, and I guess, you know, he kind of pushed her buttons instead. Exactly. But what I was surprised at, you know, did they not, like, look what was in his (laughs) pockets before they 
Oh, it's just tea. Okay. Yeah, apparently. Well, it looked like he had pills and he had all kinds of stuff in there when she opened it up. Yeah, there was more stuff. Yeah. But then when she recognizes what's happening and, and you know, it really, you know, the pain and the anguish she's going through and screaming, you can't leave me again. And then he tells her, I'm afraid you don't deserve me anymore. I, I just don't know what to think about Rachel. I mean, is there a more conflicted character in this series? Maybe not. Yeah, and what brought her to this? Was it just because she was taken from her parents and perhaps raised by Leaky or God knows what else? Right. I mean, with the access to information that she has, I mean, she has to know that it wasn't her parents that abandoned her. Yeah. And she obviously lived a fairly nice childhood up to a certain point. Yeah. And and even with Leaky, uh, I mean, apparently he treated her okay as well. Well, we we find out, you know, that Helena shows up at Arts, and boy, can that girl eat? <laughs> yeah, that's just something where Art is using the food to keep her occupied while he contacts Felix. Get get this taken care of. Yeah, and you know, I thought it was a nice touch, you know, that that she's talking about, you know, I fell in love with a boy named Jesse. Well, she's making the story bigger the same way she did when she was talking to Jesse yeah. about her life that she's just making things up. It's, it's the same thing a child would do. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Um, well, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, taking Helena to Sarah's to meet her sisters and, and the dance scene was my favorite. And, and again, we've talked a lot about heck the same with continuum when, when the two Alex are in a scene and here, when you know two of the clones or three of the clones, and here we've got four of the clones. Oh my gosh! And they're well, dancing. You did see. I did see some shadows being cut off. Okay. That's one thing that you you can notice with uh, some of it. But I just loved that they all had different styles of dance. Oh and, my gosh! But by far, even more impressive than four in one scene is Kasima and Sarah in bed. Yeah. How then they're like intertwining fingers. I'm like, what? How did they do that? Yeah. Oh God, it's amazing. But uh, and I, I also like that scene as well because Kasima is obviously hurting. Even when she's dancing, she's having trouble a little bit. Yeah. And so she's really starting to uh, show really signs of being close to death. Yeah. But on a personal front, and we'll mention this at the end of the podcast. What are they talking about in bed? Oh, golden spiral, golden the spiral. golden, oh, the golden ratio, I guess it is. But yeah, same thing. <laughs> well, you know, then I guess what, what we can kind of call the big picture that, uh, okay, look, Rachel clearly is important to Dyad. There's more going on than perhaps even she knows, you know, did she even know about the military side of Project Lita? Uh, perhaps. Uh, the, the fact that she didn't know that her father was alive makes me think that she doesn't know too much, but yeah, which parts does she know about? Yeah, I would think so as well. Um, look, I, I don't think she's going to die from a the pencil to the eye, but but is she going to hold Sarah responsible? She'll come in just as evil with the eye patch now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which would make her look even more evil. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, obviously the two sides of the project have differing objectives, but I'm wondering, has there ever been cooperation and overlap in the past? So, you know, that's something we can take a look at. Well, especially since uh, I don't know that Mark's presence with the Prolethians was a coincidence. Right. And what's going to happen now that he and Gracie have gotten married? Certainly they wouldn't have shown us those scenes with Mark and and Gracie without it meaning something and maybe coming back uh, later on. not only with Gracie's babies, but the fact that Mark is there with her. Right, right. And, 
you know, while obviously by design, the females were, were supposed to be sterile, we wonder by design if that's the same with the men. And, and if so, did any of them turn out to not be sterile? Oh, uh, similar to Sarah and Helena. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, is there some devious plan to get the clones together? So, uh, now Marion Bowles, again, one of the more intriguing characters who's, who's shown up in the you know, second half of this season, she seems to be on the side of the female clones. I mean, she's the mother to one, mm-hmm. but is that only because she's against the military side of the project? Does she have some other, uh, you know, stake in this game? I definitely think so because of the fact that topside and, and like the hedge fund people that I mentioned obviously have their own agenda as well. Right. And then, uh, how important is Kira at this point? Yeah. They sort of took away her accelerated healing type powers that she herself had. Now, of course they used it for Cosima a little bit, but yeah. What's the deal with Kira? What is her importance with regard to being an offspring of a clone? Yeah. Um, now, why does the military want a female clone? Because clearly they do. I don't know. The other thing is, do, the, do any of the male clones know that they're clones? Yeah. Are they self-aware and are there nice clones that have their own clone club? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, now, oh, the book. Uh-huh. So we assume, you know, I think at, at, when we first saw the island of Dr. Moreau, I think we figured it had something to do with the actual uh, genetic code that he was working on. But now I, I think it was merely. Oh, yeah. It had the code that he said he only had in his head and definitely had not told Sarah. Sarah told Rachel she doesn't know and she doesn't. Right. But Kira perhaps does and right. has passed it along to someone who can maybe use it. Right. Now, mentioned that Helena left the canister with her embryos. What's going to happen with those? I mean, I, I like to hope that they end up in the hands of Marion Bowles, but, you know, you never know. And then, you know, it, it's Paul and Mrs. S kind of represent the two sides on the ground. You know, Paul, the military side, Mrs. S, the dyad side, and and yet, you know, both are skeptical of the other, but both just want the same thing, and that is the truth. And I think the truth goes so many levels higher than, than you know, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Yep, definitely. But in the in the way of predicting things for next season, I guess you could say, uh, can, should we end with our listener feedback here? Yeah, that'd be a great point. Because in some ways, I agree with this person, although they have uh, some wild ideas, but Manfred wrote into us and said, I predict that the military might want the same thing with Helena as the Perlethians wanted, and that Rachel still wants from Sarah to be able to create more clones. I suspect Ethan Duncan was responsible for disabling the boy clones reproductive system as well. So no one can create new clones for now, but everyone wants to. Both Dyad and the military will be after the book that Kira got from Ethan and its secrets in season three, which I simply expect we will get. And Manfred, I hope you're right about that. But actually, now that I read that, I think I do agree with pretty much all those points. Well, the only thing I would say is, though, about the book, how would they know about the book? I mean, at this point, he gave... Yeah, they, they don't know about it. That's true. Right. So that as long as it stays hidden, and, and, and again, you never know, but I think everybody is really aware. Heck, even Kira is aware of what she's involved in. I mean, not the details, but you know, she, I, she knows when to talk, when not to talk, when to hide, when not to hide. And I think she understands that this book is significant in some way. I don't, yeah. I don't know how, but 
And we shall see wow. season four, season yep. three, I mean. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Hopefully, Mike and I will be back next year to discuss season three yes. of the Orphan Black premiere. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can join us as we launch a new podcast for Golden Spiral Media. Dave and I are really excited about our opportunity to discuss the new CBS sci-fi drama, Extant, starring Halle Berry. And we'd love for you to join us there for the debut of Dark Matter, an Extant podcast. It'll be at extantpodcast.com. But just so you know, Liberate a Continuum podcast and Fatalist the Lost Girl podcast will still be as active as ever. And we obviously hope you'll continue to listen to all of our podcasts. So if you'd like to send us feedback, you can use SpeakPipe on either the Fatalist or the Liberate websites. Send an email to feedback at continuumpodcast.com or fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 773-LIBERATE-8. And we'll see you later in the week for Continuum Podcast. Yeah. But I've no more respect, please just leave me in my bed